Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart. Welcome guys and gals to the Mobile Home Park Academy's weekly podcast. We'll provide all the information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on, and make huge profits from the lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp. In today's show, we're going to be speaking with real estate expert and recovering mobile home park investor, Kevin Easterly. Now, I actually met Kevin a few months back at a, uh, a high-level mastermind group that I'm a part of. And, and during that, that time, we got talking about his, I guess you could say his short stint, not very short, it's a couple years long, uh, but his time as a mobile home park investor. And uh, really, long story short, and I'm going to let him you know, kind of give his take on it, but uh, it was somewhat disastrous and he did just about everything wrong. And I'm not going to give him too much heck here, but uh, he did just about everything wrong. Um, but that's okay because he, he learned a lot of lessons from that experience. He's uh, done a lot of other great things throughout his life uh, as far as real estate investments and, and multiple different businesses, franchises, and such. But really, the goal here today is to kind of dissect, uh, dissect this deal, you know, how he found it, how he got into it, and just really try to figure out what those exact mistakes were so that you guys can, uh, uh, as you go along investing in your own mobile home parks, you can make sure that you've got these in the back of your mind and that you don't make these same exact mistakes. Most of these things could have been avoided um, with just a little bit of education, um, just like the show we're doing here today. I mean, listen into this, take notes, and make sure that you apply them to your mobile home park investing business, whether it's buying your first one or buying your 10th one. It doesn't really matter. They're all going to be applicable. So, guys, I'm super excited to have a candid conversation here with Kevin, but before we do, just got a, a couple laundry items that I want to run through. Uh, first and foremost, as I always mention here on the show, we're always looking for deals. Uh, we've got capital available to us um, and we're always hot on the hunt for, for new mobile home parks. So if you happen to come across something that uh, maybe you just can't take down, you're looking for a finder's fee, we'll pay it to you. If, you're, if you found something you can't take down yourself, it's too big, you don't have the capital necessary or the, the operational expertise, let's talk about a joint venture opportunity, okay? So we're always out there on the hunt. Typically, we will look for parks that are about 60 spaces or larger. The bigger, the better. I'll, I'll keep it at that. The bigger, the better. And, uh, and we'll buy nationwide. However, we do like to kind of stay away from the states that, that uh, enjoy rent control, which now are New York, Oregon, and, uh, and California. And there might be a few other ones in there, but I think those are the really big ones that we try to stick away from. Uh, second up here, you guys, if you love what we're doing here, uh, please take a moment, go subscribe to the show and also leave a review and rating on iTunes. And just to show my gratitude in return, I'll give you a copy of the exact cold call script that we use in our very own business. Now, I'd say that we bought somewhere between probably 20 to $25 million worth of parks from this cold calling script. Okay, we do a lot of direct owner marketing, one of those being uh, cold calling directly to owners. Okay, so if you leave that review in iTunes, send us a screenshot of that review to gift at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. And then shortly thereafter, we will send you the copy of the cold call script so you can get rolling on your cold calling efforts and uh, hopefully buy millions of dollars worth of parks from it. Uh, lastly, guys, if you'd like to schedule a 30-minute call with me, I've been doing this for many, many years now. This is where every Friday I set aside a couple 30-minute appointments to get on with my listeners and uh, talk about anything and everything your heart desires regarding real estate investing. It doesn't even have to be just about mobile home parks. 
Go to my website, kevinbub.com to get that call scheduled and uh, I'll look forward to connecting with you. So without further ado, let's get on to the part of the show that you guys have been waiting for, which is with my friend, my good friend, mobile home park investor, Kevin Easterly. Kevin, how you doing, yeah. buddy? Great, man. How you doing? Thanks for being on the show. This is, yeah. this is awesome. Yeah, no, I'm excited to have you, man. I've been been thinking about this show now for the last couple of months since we got chatted, uh, chatting out there in Denver. I think maybe it was while we were riding scooters around downtown Denver. Uh, <laughs> we're burdened yeah. burden with butt. <laughs> we're we're burdened with butt, man. Uh, having fun, <laughs> learning a lot, you know, networking. And uh, uh, I, I didn't know Kevin prior to that. Uh, however, we got talking and had some great conversations. And that's when you kind of uh, let me know on the fact that you had once ventured into the mobile home park space. Uh, today, you do not own that park any longer, but uh, it wasn't the best experience for you. However, you know, I always like to say that, you know, failures equal, you know, uh, lessons. We just got to understand what that lesson is and make sure that we don't make that same mistake moving forward. And so, um, there were lots of different lessons that you took away from that, that mobile home park investing experience. So, I, what I love to do, Kevin, is kind of just dissect um, the whole deal. Let's, just, let's break it down as much as we can because at the end of the day, the folks that are listening here, either they're out there looking for parks or they currently own parks. And our goal here is to make sure that they don't make these same mistakes or that they can at least identify them and, and see an, an, and maybe an alternate solution to them. Okay. So let's start with, you know, I guess first and foremost, you know, what really even, what was the catalyst to your interest in the mobile home park space? How'd you find out about it? So great question. Great question. I went to, um, I had a video business at the time doing weddings and I was shooting a wedding in Beverly Hills at a gentleman's house in a big mansion. And I remember asking him, I said, what do you do for a living? And he's like, I buy and sell distressed mobile home parks. And so I was like, that's cool. I want to go buy and sell distressed mobile home parks. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. I want to do this life and live here. So I, I literally went online, Googled mobile home park investments, purchases, this, that, and the other, found a couple forums. Uh, this was 2012, 13, found a couple forums. Lo and behold, found this gentleman that, that uh, dealt with mobile home parks in the South. Now, I live in California, and for some reason, I've never been to Alabama. I figured that was a great first spot to buy. <laughs> <laughs> very, very interesting. So, I'm, but I'm guessing that you, know, you didn't buy the first one that you saw. You called this broker. The broker maybe sent you a, a sheet, a listing sheet of the different deals that he had available for sale. Um, tell me what that, that, that experience or that process looked like and what... What ultimately led you to that, you know, the deal that you ended up buying? Yeah, so I had, a, so he gave me about a list of 10 different parks, the cost of the park, the return on the park, and where the park was with some pictures on a Microsoft Word with the pro formas on there and the expenses, <laughs> which I have the Microsoft Word sitting right in front of me. Oh my gosh. Um, and so I looked at it and being a, a new investor, I had never bought any invest, uh, real estate at this point in my life. And so I looked at it. What do I look at first? I look at the most money and the most NOI. And so that brought me down to a deep south, Aniston, Alabama, park-owned homes pig that was going to, we were going to turn it around. We were going to fill, what was it, 37 spaces, 22 Ooh. rented, and 14 vacant lots. And we were going to buy 14 mobile homes for 4K each and rent them out. And the performance was looking like a 20, what was it? 50% cap rate possible, 850 plus 500, uh, all these crazy numbers, man. So I got sold the dream. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it, it was 50, 50 what lots? What, what, what were the numbers you threw out there? Okay. 37 spaces. 
Okay. The, got purchase, it. the purchase price was 450K. It was 150K down and assume a 275K loan at 6%. 37 spaces. Uh, and it was interest only loan, I was assuming. 22 rented and 14 vacant lots and then two homes that were vacant and one tenant owned trailer. Got it. Got it. Now, did you go visit this park before you uh, purchased it? Yes. So I talked to the guy, he lived in Sacramento and he goes, come to my office. So I flew up there, met him in his office. He goes, here we are, here we deal. We'll meet out in Alabama, do our thing. So I was like, all right, cool. Went out to Alabama. I didn't know anything I was looking for. I didn't know that dirt driveways and dirt roads were bad. I didn't know that septic tanks were bad. I didn't know that the check to septic tanks, I didn't know that well and not city sewer was bad, all this stuff. So it was, it was wells. It was seeping, um, seeping septic tanks, by the way, oh. it was, <laughs> it was dirt roads and it was park owned homes with 14 lots. And I was like, man, this thing's got potential. Cash flow, cash flow king. That's all you're thinking of, right? <laughs> yeah, all right. I'm, yeah. I'm looking up Aniston, Alabama to see what the demographics look like. Cause you know, Aniston's not, we actually own some parks in smaller markets than in Aniston. So like the size of Aniston doesn't necessarily concern me. And I, I, and we're not going to speak to any names here. I actually know the broker. I, I've seen many parks come across my desk in Aniston or in the immediate surrounding areas. Um, I'm looking here at the stats of Aniston and the population of uh, 22,000. So a very small market. Unemployment rates 5.5%, which is uh, which is above the national average. Um, it's actually part of the Aniston, Oxford, Jacksonville metro area. Um, the crime is fairly high in Aniston. That, that's one thing uh, that, that's immediate, you know, t- attention grabber in mind when we're looking at a different market to buy in. Because typically, if, if you're buying a mobile home park, especially like a C-grade or D-grade mobile home park, and it's an area that has high crime, guess where that crime's attracted to? They're probably attracted to the area that you actually own, and you're going to be housing those folks. So, um, <laughs> one thing to be concerned about. Let's, let's talk about your first visit there. So, forget about everything else. Obviously, we know that today we know that I wouldn't say septics are bad and well are bad. We own septics, we own wells. You know, there's a, a, a very deep due diligence process we go through to make determinations of the risk associated with those different uh, private utilities. Um, and then we kind of look at the big picture together and see, you know, if we're comfortable with that, that overall risk. Obviously, you had a lot of different factors kind of weighing all in, like almost all the worst factors kind of uh, piled all on top of one another. But let's, let's back up a little bit. Let's just talk about your first visit. Like when you went there, I mean, what, I, I'm, per, I'm, I'm a firm believer in like gut will take you to a certain extent, right? Like gut will talk to you a little bit, you know, you had a lot of new elements going on around you. So it was probably a little overwhelming, but tell me about that. Just the, you know, the first experience stepping, I guess, into the town of Anderson or into that mobile home park. I mean, what was your gut telling you? Was it still saying, Hey man, 50% cash on cash return or whatever it was, 50% cap rate, 50% cap rate. Um, you know, let's still go forward with this or were, were you kind of having, uh, doubts about the deal at that point. No, I'm not going to lie. I was going to, when I walked and I showed up to this place and I pulled into the, it was a abandoned building up above it. And I drove down into the, the grove with trees all over it. And there was all these shady people in there and uh, I looked at it and I got out and I figured this is just how they roll. I'm, I'm like, this must be the mobile home park business. Cause I was, didn't do my due diligence before. Yeah. Obviously. So he sold me. He's like, yeah, this is great. We got this. I met the manager. It was all great. Um, we saw the game plan going in. He was gonna. He told me that he was going to manage it for me and no problem. And he was a third-party manager that was 300 bucks a month and he was going to take care of everything. We're going to make a ton of money. 300 bucks a month. That's, that's very kind of him. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I said, great, looks good. I'm like, I don't have time. I'm running a business. This is perfect. This is what I wanted. I'm going to get into the real estate business. So okay. did that answer your question? So my, it was, yeah, my first yeah. gut was shady, but I believed them. Yeah. So, okay. That's, that's, that's good. So guys, when you're, when you're rolling into a mobile home park, I mean, now if, if you grew up in like Bel Air, you know, and, and, and you're used to, you know, uh, that type of environment, probably any mobile, mobile home park might seem shady to you. But I mean, if, if you're a realist and you just grew up in a normal family, um, you probably grew up in a town that had a mobile home park or two or probably more than that. Uh, maybe you haven't driven through them, but at least you've seen them before. And so, you know, you shouldn't feel, you shouldn't feel like you need to lock your doors. You know, general, generally speaking, you shouldn't feel like you have to lock your doors. Um, going there at nighttime shouldn't concern you. Uh, if it does, then, you know, you, you might want to, I wouldn't say run away, but just look a little deeper, find out what the element is that you're about to um, assume, you know, meaning like the demographic that you're about to take on and whether or not it's worth your time and day. At the end, what I feel is that I don't care what kind of cash from cash return, what kind of profits I can make. There's, <laughs> there's only one life here and, and, and life is really short, right? And so like dealing with that type of clientele, it just isn't worth it. You know, forget about all the numbers and all the, the what ifs of how much money you can make. It's just not worth dealing with that type of clientele. Okay. So moving on, you felt a little shady, but you're like, fun. you know what? Maybe this is just the mobile home park space. Um, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe that's what it is. Um, did you do any due diligence on the private utilities? Obviously, you know, I'm sure, I'm guessing that the broker probably sold you on like expenses are low because you got septics. They kind of take care of themselves. The well, you don't have to pay for water. Everything's great. Is that, it was is that a kind 1965, of Yeah, it was a 1965, I believe, or 68 build. Um, I didn't even know you're supposed to check the utilities. I just said, oh, cool, it's well and septic. And then, I mean... The biggest thing I would say is go to like a seminar or, or start learning and, and get everything down like on this podcast or a seminar or whatever you need to do to get the basics down, right? Like if it's well, go get the well things checked, right? Would that be – because I mean these things were yeah. seeping. These had seepage left and right and it came to the point in like a year where I had to buy new well tanks. Yeah. So no, that's I mean, a big like deal. That was a huge expense, yeah. No, I mean we, we, we hire – in any local market – there's going to be uh, experts, uh, typically companies that specialize in maintaining well systems for private owners and municipalities. The same thing goes with, with private sewer systems, whether it's septic systems or wastewater treatment plants. I mean, there's companies that specialize in those types of private utilities. And so, I mean, we always, I mean, well to me, you know, so you got well and you got you know, private sewer, private sewer, again, can mean septic tanks. It can mean wastewater treatment plants or lagoons, yeah, um, you know, wastewater treatment plants, lagoons. Well, wastewater treatment plants are pretty common. Septics are very common. Lagoons, not so much, unless you're like in the Midwest. It seems like they're a lot more prevalent there. However, the one thing I always like to say is that you can't, you can't really poison anyone with sewage, meaning that unless someone's drinking or, or you know, eating the, the poo, like you're not going to poison them, right? And so, but with a well, you surely can. It's a big deal. Like you've got a massive responsibility when you're taking on a community drinking, uh, water, uh, drinking water system, right? Like that's what you're doing. You're basically, you've got a well in the ground and you're supplying the water like a municipality might be doing to, you know, multiple different families, folks that are drinking. And this water, it just can't come out of the well and go directly to their faucets. It doesn't work that way. There's, there's uh, chlorinator systems. There's different mm -hmm. processes and filters that, that get set up to take the, you know, the hard minerals out, any kind of the dangerous elements out of the water so that it becomes clean drinking water. And if that system goes awry, 
it can cause major problems, you know, such as a lawsuit. You can get people really, really sick. And so it's, it's, it's dangerous not knowing what you have there or what you don't have. And, and, uh, Additionally, there's regulatory standards that you know can get changed, uh, and so that that well, probably what you realize is that either your system was failing, or maybe there were some uh, government agencies kind of breathing down your neck a little bit, saying so you got to upgrade the system. I don't know exactly how that played out. It was, for you, yeah, but, it was, yeah, it's failing. Yeah, yeah, it's failing. So you got to upgrade the system that costs you, you know, probably thousands of dollars, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. I'm not sure how much, but it's it's fairly expensive. So you definitely have to get a professional out there to look at the system, um, go through a complete evaluation. Um, you know, get a life expectancy of the different components, and then really create a budget based on what things you might have to replace or what might go wrong. I mean, even in certain parks that we own. The well systems are, uh, you know, you have to look at, you know, what the flow rate is. Can this thing even, can it truly provide the amount of water that's really needed uh, to, to, you know, to provide the right water pressure so people can take a normal shower throughout the entire community? Like, is that, is that realistic or is, uh, is that going to be a problem where people are calling me because they literally have, you know, they have to stand underneath a dripping, you know, uh, uh, shower faucet, right? <laughs> it's just, there's all these different elements involved there, but get a professional. Mm-hmm. I don't know that stuff. I kind of know what to generally look for on a report. But I'm not the guy that digs into the well and digs into the systems. Uh, hire a professional to do that. Same goes with with uh, sewer systems. You know, get a professional out there, get an engineer out there to, uh, to, to you know to kind of dive into it. And and that all costs money. I think that's where I think that's where a lot of new investors. It doesn't matter if it's mobile home parks or apartments or any other type of real estate. New investors that have a limited budget. It seems they, they, they tend to, and I'm not saying you at all, but uh, just generally speaking, they tend to skimp out a little bit. Uh, if they know mm-hmm. what they should be doing, they still skimp out because it costs money. And it's, those are real pursuit costs that you have the chance of losing if you don't do that deal. And uh, yeah. you're hiring you know, experts for tens of thousands of dollars, and there's still not a 100% chance this deal is going to get done. And that's, uh, that's a tough pill to swallow, especially if it's your first deal or if you're just getting into, you know, you know, into the real estate investment space. So... Um, so you had a, you had the well system kind of failing on, you had to replace that, which kind of sucks. What, what was the next big, what was the next big, like, holy crap, what, what's happening here? Like what, what happened? So I started getting the, the actual P and L's every month and realizing that this thing wasn't making money. <laughs> and it was just, it was just all of a sudden I would see repairs and maintenance. And then I would see, uh, what are the other ones here that I have? And then it was, um, and then it was, oh, so-and-so moved out. They didn't pay their rent. And they just left. They skipped, right? And then it was, oh, um, more tools and more like a new toilet, right? And all this stuff that was inside. And then I, I've come to figure out down the road when I started, I, then I tried to self-manage it. And I was figuring out, like, they were just telling me there's a toilet broken to get more money. And there was nothing I could do. And I'm like, okay, great. So the toilet's broke again and I was naive and I'm like, okay, great. Here's another 150 bucks. And then they're like, oh, that took me 30 hours. And it took me a long time to realize like how their hours are working and what's going on. And Johnny's over here helping them. So it was a lot, man, in a a little amount of time. So I actually fired them and I flew out there and I went onto the property and I'm like, I'm managing this thing myself. I'm going directly to the manager. So I got in there. We rented a U-Haul truck. We put a guy on top. We were cutting down tree limbs. Oh, my God. I just God. got in. We were, we were moving people out. We were reflooring. I was laying under the things with them, putting the PEX pipe in there, like just learning everything. I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose. And I started self-managing it. And then we got the thing like half, not like three quarters full. It was cruising. But then I found out the tenants were all crap because, you know, it was, there was a drug dealer that was running the property. So I was like, 
it was one thing after another, man. So the tenants probably had never, they, they probably never had a, a real screening uh, process in place, I'm guessing, right? Like if no. they could fog a mirror, they could probably move into one of those mobile homes. And I'm guessing that just from what you're telling me, those mobile homes over the years probably haven't been maintained all that well. They probably have band-aid together. And so you kind of, you get what you pay for. If you got park-owned homes in your community and they're old, just because they're old doesn't mean they have to be beat up and, and it just, you know, kind of crap boxes. I mean, it doesn't, you know, we have some really old homes that are really, really nice, but you got to put money into them just like you do a regular apartment or single family residence. And so you kind of get what you pay for. And so we, we've seen this many different times. In fact, we bought it, probably one of our best buys ever was a park. It was a park up in Richmond, Virginia, and it came with, uh, I believe, like right around 30 park-owned homes. Um, the rest were, were tenant-owned, and the tenant-owned were, you know, they, they had been there for a long time. I think there was like 25 or so tenant-owned. Uh, I think it was 58 spaces in total of the park, and the park, the gross income was phenomenal on, on the P&L, but he was losing his butt for like the last 25 years on these rentals um, because he literally, the only thing he did wrong, the park was in perfect condition. Like he spent so much money fixing up these used, old, very old mobile homes. So like they weren't neglected. They didn't have deferred maintenance. He'd put new roofs on them. He'd put new um, uh, furnaces in them. He'd put new subfloors in them. He'd reconfigure the floor plan of old homes so they had bigger rooms. Wow. I mean, he'd do everything. And so from the outside looking in, everything looked great. However, his turn rate and his burn rate of people coming in and going out, what, what was going on is people would move in, they'd pay him the you know first month's rent and a security deposit, they'd stop paying rent the second or third month, he'd have to go through the eviction process, they'd beat up yeah. the unit a little bit, sometimes worse than others, um, and then they have to go in and do some rehab. So they basically net zero or there was a loss, right? Net zero gain or there was actual loss there. And they would go through this cycle, you know, two or more times a year with all these rental units and it was absolutely killing him. And so wow. very quickly we went in there, fired like three of the pay people on payroll that were, you know, basically the whole rehab crew because they literally had so much going on in these 30 units, fired them, um, put a, a very simple screening process in place. So you had to have income, you had to pass income qualifications. Yeah, you, you, you had to also be able to fog a mirror, but you also had to have decent credit, good payment history, very, very simple things because these were nice homes. And literally within a year, we turned that thing around. I mean, we, we stopped the bleeding very, very quickly. And I think that when we bought it, we bought it. The uh, the gross income in that park was, I think, like two two forty, and his NOI was like twenty eight thousand dollars. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was crazy. At the end of year one, uh, it only took us like three months to really fix this problem and work through some of the bad apples. Um, the first year, um, our NOI we got it up to like one one forty eight, I believe, or one fifty two. I mean, literally, we added over a hundred thousand dollars of revenue just like that, um, just by fixing that one little small problem. So the the challenge there with that is like you got to work through the bad apples that ended up making their way in there, and uh, and typically they're going to find their way out the door. And so it's, it's it's an expensive lesson when you step into a park like that that didn't really have a a screening process in place, right? I mean, I think ours went much better than what it could have because we had some good management there on site, but uh, yours, it didn't sound like that was the case. So you had not only bad management, but bad tenants. Like you just had a bad community. Like everything there was bad. There wasn't one good element that was trying to help save the day no, no, other no. than you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I learned, man, I learned a ton. Um, let me, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it was a, it was a seminar, right? But I mean, yeah. That's it was a hundred thousand dollar seminar and I decided to just move forward and start doing C minus apartments. But guess what? Those C minus apartments were like light years ahead of the mobile home park crew. So 
then I have no problem dealing with intense. And so, you know, it's, it's always, if you look forward, man, you just keep positive. That's it's it. just money. It's just Absolutely. money and it's just a lesson. You weren't doing C, C apartments in Anniston, Alabama though, were you? Heck no. In Vegas, <laughs> next to my house. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about what you're doing today, buddy. Uh, I know that yeah. you're, you're in the apartment space, you and a ton of different franchises. I mean, you're just, I don't even know how you find uh, time to, to, to keep, you know, just have some quality time to yourself. I mean, it seems like you're just hustling left and right. You got your hands and I forget how, what, what number of franchises you own, but it's a pretty big number. And then you own a bunch of real estate as well. But um, so you're fully away from mobile home parks. I do know that. But uh, what else you got going on today? <laughs> uh, real quick on that mobile home park, just for your viewers, I sold it for I bought it for the one fifty oh, down with the with the loan, and I sold it for fifteen k down with the loan three years later, and so I lost one hundred thirty five plus. I put about fifty into it, so it was about one hundred eight thousand dollars loss. So that was it. Sold it. I was out. Gone. Any idea where that park's at today? Like, have you kept in touch <laughs> with that buyer? Have you looked? I mean, I, I, there's got to be something in you that makes you want to jump on a plane and go back to Anderson and just check it out. I would love to. I would love to. I have a buddy that lives about 45 minutes away from there. So if you're ever in Anderson, Kevin, and you let, let me know, and I'd love for you to drive by. Yeah. <laughs> we'll That'd do. Great. We'll do, man. Um, so today, so then I started doing apartment investing. Um, then I got some lessons. I started listening to a few people and I started going to seminars because I learned that I went to a seminar halfway through my mobile home park and learned how valuable they are to go to. And I learned a lot. Um, so I started doing apartments and I started doing four plexes, eight plexes. So I got comfortable buy, turn them, rehab them, better tenants, flip them. That's kind of what I was doing. And now we're up to uh, 140 apartments right now in mostly Vegas and Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, and then we started buying franchises for the cash flow because, you know, apartment game is a lot, a lot of long-term wealth game. Um, unless you're really flipping all the time, and you're, you know, it's not a lot, ton of cash flow. So I wanted more cash flow for a team. So we started buying franchises. I built three uh, club Pilates from the ground up and then I was a successful owner. So they came to me and they said, we have some distressed ones. Would you like to start buying those? And I said, yes, I would do it. So I'm just buying those with pennies in the dollar and then putting more capital into them to get them up. But I'm still way below the price to build one new. And I have 13 now. I have 10 cycle bars and three club Pilates all over the country. That's awesome, man. Congratulations, dude. That, that's Thanks, incredible. Man. So let, let, let's talk about time management. So that's, that's a big part of this, right? So as you grow, you're kind of finding your, your, your space in this investment world and you got your fingers in real estate, you got your fingers in these franchises. Um, you got a lot going on. Uh, talk to me about time management. How do you deal with the day-to-day? -day? Yeah, it's a great question. So I deal with it. I, I get up in the morning and I do about a two-hour block of apartments and then I put in about a three hour block after that of franchises and I try to keep them separated so I can do my daily, you know, I don't get too involved in all of it and the community get nothing done. Um, another good thing I learned too, I used to be all me, 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 no partners for a long time, try to do everything myself. Mm -hmm. um, I started getting partners and I, I went and I picked people up, um, my operations manager guy, my uh, regional managers, and I started giving them percentages of the company and equity and knocking their salaries down a little bit. And I learned that you build way faster. You have way more people to bounce high level ideas off of. You have way more time. So that's my new thing now is I'm just trying to build people below me to help me take care of a lot of things. Yeah, you got, you got to get folks that have a vested interest. I, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what that looks like. I mean, what's the general structure look like as far as the, uh, you know, the vested interest of your, I guess, your staff? Yeah. So, okay. So the franchise and the apartments are kind of two different things right now. So yeah, okay. the, fran the franchises, we have 
13 franchises in six different states, right? Mm-hmm. And then I have two, so I have 13 re- managers, general managers. They don't, they're just making the salary. And then above them, we have an East Coast and a West Coast regional. That they get um, a salary plus like 5% of whatever each of whatever I do. Um, Apollo 10X, our company does, right? Anything moving forward. So our goal is 100 franchises and, and 1,000 apartments in the next couple of years. Got it. Um, so, and so then my. Sorry, is it strictly profit sharing just from like a cash flow perspective? Yep. Yep. Okay. And equity at the end of the game when we exit. Okay. Yeah. So if we make 10 grand a month, they get 5% of that. Right. And then I have two partners. We all did the same thing. We said, what's your involvement? They have different percentages, right? Some of them are 30%. They have a little cash involvement, little sales involvement. And then I have another operations manager that gets 5% as well, plus a salary. So I, I'm about 50% and the other 50 is broken up between four people plus three of them are getting salaries. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, no, I got you. I got you. I I, I love the profit sharing model. I mean, you got to empower your people. Like, I mean, if if you want them to think like you, if they, if you want them to think like an owner, right, that's what everyone, everyone that's got a business, you know, they, if I, if I hear them gripe and moan, they gripe and moan about, you know, my employee, she she or he just doesn't care. They, they, they don't give a shit. They, you know, they don't work as hard as I do. Like, you know, they're not as vested in this. No shit. You know, I mean, like that's because they're not really a part of it. Like, make them a part of it. Make them make them feel like they're building something. It's not just going to help you, but it's also it's also going to help help and empower them and their family, right? And if they're going to put the blood, sweat, and tears in, so you can truly align yourselves with your with your staff, with your employees, with your leaders uh, in these different organizations that you own, which I think is awesome, man. Um, going thing back, I got I, real quick is uh, yeah, sorry, is uh, is um, another thing is split your company up into ten million shares. Right. And then you can give your managers instead of giving them money, give them a bonus of shares, right? Like a corporate, like a corporation does. Like my buddy works at paychecks. It's a big corporation. They get their guys shares of the company. Right. Mm-hmm. And that gives them vested interest as well. And we have 10 million of them instead of giving them, you know, whatever dollar amount, just give them shares. And now they're in it to the end. So that's another idea. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to revert back real quick to the mobile home park thing. If you were going to go back in time and uh, knowing what you know today, give yourself some advice uh, other than the general advice of like, you know, get, get educated, um, you know, do your due diligence more, I guess, uh, more in depth. Uh, what other advice would you give yourself or maybe the new mobile home park investor that's listening into the show right now that's either looking at their first deal or about to do their first deal? Uh, yeah. So I, if I was going to do it again, aside from the education, I would find somebody that's already buying mobile homes, mobile home parks personally, and I would link up with them, take a very small, you know, take a hit on the commission or the percentage, whatever, get your feet wet, walk through the park with somebody you know on that specific deal. And that's how you learn in this business in the, in the real estate in general. Like you could read everything in the world. You can go to all the seminars you can, but if you don't actually do it, you're never going to learn. And so yeah. I think you need to do it with somebody that's experienced and you don't, you got to understand that you're not going to get 50% if you put in 50% of the money, if you don't know what you're doing. Like, yeah, how it works. No, no, that, that's a great point. And you know, what I like to tell folks that are just getting started, you know, I, I, I see, you know, the, there's the different, different grades. So there's the folks that like have very limited capital. And so like that limited capital, they, they, they keep that small mindset and they're thinking, I can only buy a 10 space park, right? So they're just looking at the smallest parks out there. They're looking at like the, in the, in the tertiary markets, like the Anderson's of the world. They're, they're buying in small markets, small parks. When I personally feel what they should be doing, they should be getting, forget about the, their own money that they have, forget about doing a 10 space park, 
learn how to underwrite effectively, learn theoretically the business, learn how to underwrite and identify and spot good deals, ideally larger deals, deals that you can't take down yourself, but get really good at finding them because really if, 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 if there's not a deal on the table, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if you know everything else. It doesn't matter if you have money, if you can't find deals. And so get really good at finding opportunities, but not just finding deals, you know, underwriting them and actually presenting it to somebody, uh, an experienced operator, us or anyone else that, that can take down the deals, that has the capital, that has the operational experience and become an asset to them, right? Get, give value back to them because what you're going to find is that they're going to be very happy to, uh, to listen to what you have to say. And they're also going to be very happy to probably make you a part of that deal because it was a deal that they didn't have otherwise. And uh, you brought value to them. They bring value to you. You're in the space now. You get some credibility, get a little bit of a track record, learn from them. And you talk about a way to fast track yourself into this business or any other business. Yeah. I know that that's, that's really big in the multifamily space, right? Like it's, it's a team sport and that way you don't have to do that 10 space deal. You, you do 150 or 200 space mobile home park and, and forget about the 10 space park. You know, get yourself thinking a lot bigger and align yourselves with folks that are already doing bigger things and find out how to bring value to them. So I don't know if you got any thoughts or feedback on that, Kevin. Uh, that, that's funny. You just said that because currently right now I have somebody that came to me and I kept seeing her at different, um, uh, multifamily masterminds and this, that, and the other, but she didn't have anything. And she came from the single family space. And I told her, I go, if you go find me a, a deal off market and then you help me with it, I will give you a percentage and I'll take you under my wing and, and learn you the ropes. Right. She went and found a deal off market. She learned how to do the underwriting just exactly like you said, verbatim. And now she's with me and I gave her 10% of that deal straight equity Plus, she's getting the cash flow from it, and she's learning everything. I'm having her doing everything, and I'm right there by her side where if she needs to know anything, I got it. You know what I mean? Like, I can do it, but she can do it right there, and she's being watched the whole time. And that's the yeah. best way to do it. Like, don't go in alone, man. You're going to have nobody to learn from, you know? Yep. Yep. No, that's absolutely. exactly what you said is what I'm doing right now. It's crazy you said that. It's funny. Yeah. That's yeah, the best way stuff, to go. Man. Yeah, no, it, it, it's the way that, I mean, if you talk about fast tracking your way to success, it's the way to do it. I mean, gosh, I'm I, I thinking back to when I got started, you know, you know, 19 years ago as a real estate investor, I kind of, I, I, I teamed up or, you know, I guess not teamed up initially, but I found someone who became my mentor. I didn't know anything about real estate. I just basically saw what he was doing, really liked what he was doing, thought that it would be a perfect fit for me. I was 19 years old, was hungry for money, you know, came from a, a good family, but very middle of the road, blue collar, didn't have a ton of things. This guy seemed to be living a very cool lifestyle and I wanted to be like that. And uh, I said, hey, David, can I, what can I do to help you with your business? I was in school, I was tending bar in the evenings and like between classes and tending bar, I was out in the field with him basically working for free for like nearly a year and a half. Um, you know, working for free, literally helping him with contractors, you know, be, being his uh, courier, right? I mean, just doing odds and ends for him, whatever I could do to be around him, to learn what it was he was doing, to learn how he said what he said, right? How he interacted and communicated with contractors and sellers and buyers and tenants and, and all the above title companies. And just, I, I wanted to understand his business, but I knew that in order for me to get value for him, I had to first give value to him because yep. what was the benefit of him hanging out with me and taking on a, you know, somewhat of a burden because he had to kind of teach me a little bit of what was going on, right? If I wasn't going to, you know, help him and give back. And so, um, it's just, that's what you, how you guys got to position yourself. You got to think that way. You got to 
you know, I, I guess, Kevin, you probably get this often as well. Great point. Uh, being that you're out on social media quite often is that you get people that reach out to you, man. Hey, Kevin, can I take, you know, 10 minutes to pick your brain? You know, yeah. it's like, or can I take 30 minutes to pick your brain? You know, like that, that, mm-hmm. that is the message. That's the extent of it. You don't know the individual, they, but I want to take 30 minutes of your day to pick your brain. Guys, before you do that, think about what kind of value you can bring to the individual. Obviously, you're seeking something from them because you know they have some knowledge that you really want. So think about, think about how busy they are, first and foremost, and think about how you can add value to their day so that, number one, it encourages them to actually respond to you. Number two, um, you know, they see the benefit of actually connecting with you and, and helping you out in your endeavor. So again, don't know if you have any feedback on that, Kevin, but that's so, a big one. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually coming out with a little thing of how to build your team, right? And what, what you can be. So you either got to think of, are you the guy with the money? Are you the asset manager person? Which if you have no experience, you're probably not that guy. Are you the, um, are you the numbers guy, which is a super that you love Excel. You want to marry Excel if you could, and you got to <laughs> learn, you got to learn how to underwrite a deal so you can hand it to that person and save them some time, right? Because time is money and be able to hand it to them and say, here, this is a great deal. I've researched it, check it out. And then you look at it and oversee it. So you got to provide value and put yourself in a category when you, before you come to somebody and say, I want to pick your brain. Be like, hey man, I'm a really good analyzer. I've analyzed 100 deals. I love this. I, I want to be on your analyzing team. Next time you're out in a property, can I go jump out and hang out with you? Like if you call and say, I want to pick your brain, can I go to lunch? No, because it takes an hour to get to lunch, plus an hour at lunch, plus an hour to get back. That's three hours or whatever the case yeah. is. So, and it's like, you got to build value. You got to bring value and just provide value. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. I love it, man. Kevin, how do we get a hold of you, buddy? What's the best place to find you for the folks that are listening that want to reach out, not just to say, can I pick your brain, but actually want to see what you're doing, want to connect with you in a positive way and bring value to you and your business. How do they do that? That's great. Uh, Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, Kevin at Apollo10x.com. It's A-P-O-L-L-O-1-0-X.com. And then if you go to our Facebook group, which everybody's really active in and we're, we're doing the franchise and apartment thing and, and we have some people doing mobile home parks in there as well. Um, and that is, if you go to kevineasterly.com, it will go directly redirect to our Facebook group. Um, Alrighty. It's called, yeah, man. Yeah, you guys, and you guys got a lot of great stuff on that, that Facebook group as well. I mean, you guys you yeah. got a lot, of, a lot of great folks that, that are members there and, uh, and share lots of uh, incredible content on a daily basis, uh, which, is, yeah. which is awesome, man. I appreciate all that you do. And I'm going to leave this with the listeners and with you, buddy. I know that you yeah. had a bad experience with mobile home parks. I've had a really good experience with mobile home parks. At some point, I'm going to get you back over to our side, at least on a deal. And, uh, and then yeah. we'll, have a, we'll have a comeback story of like, you know what? Kevin lost a hundred, whatever it was, $170,000, $180,000 in that mobile home park. But guess what? He just did a deal, did it right this time, and is absolutely yes. selling it. <laughs> yes. I'm going to pick your brain for 30 minutes about it. Get one. <laughs> Good kidding. deal. Kevin, buddy. Hey, thanks. Man, thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And guys, thanks for joining us here for this week's episode. And just real quick, want to remind you about the free ebook that you can grab from our website. So go on over to mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Uh, you can listen to the podcast episodes there. Again, grab their free book. It's the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when purchasing their first mobile home park, how to avoid them. Kevin should have read this. Unfortunately, this book was not written when he bought that mobile home park or else he probably wouldn't have made some of those mistakes. But anyway, grab the book. It's free. Again, thank you for stopping by, guys. And this is Kevin Bupp signing off. Congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. 
Be sure to visit our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com, to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter, which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.